um, I read, and I thought it, it relates to what the passage we're, we're about to read. So the story is told of a man who loved old books. He met an acquaintance, an acquaintance who had just thrown away a Bible that had been stored in the attic of his ancestral home for generations. I couldn't read it, the friend explained. Somebody named Guten something had printed it. Not Gutenberg, the book lover exclaimed in, exclaimed in horror. <coughs> the Bible was one of the first books ever printed. Why, a copy just sold over two million dollars. His friend was unimpressed. Mine, would have brought a, mine would, wouldn't have brought a dollar. Some fellow named Martin Luther had scribbled all over it in German. Now this story illustrates how easy it is to overlook something that has value if you don't understand it. And that's, you know, the overall theme. That's one of the, the, the themes we're going to be looking at today. Now, if you, just to give you a little bit of backdrop in the story, again, Gutenberg, the Gutenberg Bibles were the first printed Bibles um, um, a couple hundred years ago. And Martin Luther, again, was the, the reformer who nailed the 95 Thesis on the, on the, on the church, uh, in a church door. And, uh, Again, having him sign a Bible would have been, again, um, e e valuable, very valuable. So before we uh, celebrate in this morning's communion together, we're going to be looking at a story surrounding the events from another type of celebration. This is a story about a king who squandered an opportunity of a, of a lifetime. This is also a story we see, what we, this is, in this story we also see what happens when anger and bitterness are stored in the heart and aren't dealt with. And this is, a story, this is a story where we see how a birthday celebration culminated into one of the most gruesome scenes in the New Testament. The intent of this study is to show you how the condition of your heart significantly determines how truth is received. You see, a heart that is emptied from the cares of this world <coughs> will, be open and will be open to be filled by God, will be open to be filled by the Spirit of God. But a heart that is consumed with the cares of this world, with trying to impress people, with trying to meet um, the standards of this world and, and to make a name for yourself, when those are your cares of, your, of this of, uh, when those are the cares, uh, when those are the things you care about, you will find that truth will be difficult to grasp. So let's begin reading this passage. I'll be in, we'll be in Mark chapter 6, and I'll be starting in verse 14. Mark chapter 6, verse 14. I'll be reading the entire passage, and then um, I'll be breaking it down. Mark chapter 6, verse 14. King Herod heard of this because Jesus' name had become well known. Some said, John the Baptist has been raised from the dead, and that's why supernatural powers are at work in him. But, other, but others said, he's Elijah. Still others said, he's a prophet, like one of the prophets. When Herod heard of it, he said, John, the one I beheaded, has been raised? For Herod himself had given orders to arrest John and chain him in the prison on account of Herodias, his, brother's, his brother Philip's wife whom he married. John had been telling Herod, it's not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. So Herodias held a grudge against him and wanted to kill him. 
but she could not because Herod was in awe of John and was protecting him. Knowing he was a righteous and holy man, when Herod heard him, he would be very disturbed, yet he, yet he would hear him gladly. Now an opportune time came on his birthday when Herod gave a banquet for his nobles, military commanders, and the leading men of Galilee. When Herodias' own daughter came in and danced, she pleased Herod and his guest. The king said to the girl, ask me whatever you want and I'll give it to you. So he swore oaths to her, whatever you ask me, I will give you up to half my kingdom. Then she went out and said to her mother, what should I ask for? John the Baptist's head, she said. Immediately she hurried to the king and said, I want you to give me John the Baptist's head on a platter right now. Though the king was deeply distressed because of his oaths and guests, he did not want to refuse her. The king immediately sent for the executioner and commanded him to bring John's head. So he went and beheaded him in prison, brought his head on a platter, and gave it to the girl. Then the girl gave it to her mother. When his disciples heard about it, they came and removed his corpse and placed it in the tomb. In the beginning of this passage, we're introduced to a new character that played a significant role in the death of Jesus Christ. Not only in, this, in the story of, of the death of John the Baptist, but in the story also in the death of Jesus Christ. And his name is King Herod. Now, just to give you a little bit of a background on King Herod, um, and to, to, so that you won't be confused with the other Herods that are in the, in, the, in the Gospels. His name was actually Herod Antipas. And he was one of four sons to Herod the Great. Herod the Great was the one, if you remember the story in Matthew chapter 2, um, who sent soldiers to slaughter all the male children two years, um, two years old and under in Bethlehem and in surrounding neighborhoods. It was called the Slaughter of the Innocents. His father was the one who ordered it. Now after his father's death, Herod Antipas, along with his three brothers, became regional rulers. They all, his father went ahead and distributed certain lands, certain regions to his sons. Although this land was controlled and was ruled by, by the Roman authorities, by um, the Roman Empire, uh, Caesar had given Herod the Great rule over this region. So when he died, his, his four sons all became um, rulers of different areas. And that's why you'll also hear, him, you'll also hear Herod be known as Herod the Tetrarch. Um, now his territory, Herod the Tetrarch, Herod Antipas, his territory included Judea, Samaria, Eduma, and the cities of Jerusalem, Caesarea, and Joppa. Now it's important to know those areas because those are the areas that both Jesus and John the Baptist lived and ministered in. Now, his pop, he, wasn't very, he wasn't a very popular guy. Although he allowed the Jews to conduct their, their worship, their sacrifices, and their religious to, to uh, do their religious observances, he was never really liked. He wasn't, he wasn't very popular because of his flagrant idolatry and his salacious sexual appetite. Now this was something that uh, we'll, we'll see in a bit that, that John the Baptist called him out on. And who Jesus, Jesus also referred to him as th that fox. And it was before, the other thing too is it was before Herod Antipas that Jesus appeared and was brutalized. And you can find that story in Luke chapter 23. In verse 14, 
it begins by saying that King Herod had heard of this. Now, what was it that he heard about? What was it that he had been, what was it that he was hearing? Herod had begun hearing reports about Jesus and how his disciples were now going. Remember, last week we covered it. His, Jesus had sent his disciples in pairs to go and basically do what he had already been doing, what he was teaching and what he was showing them. So he was hearing his, how his disciples were going out and preaching, healing, and driving out demons. Now, when it came to Jesus, Herod was hearing all kinds of reports. According to some, Jesus' miracles were being attributed to the power given to him by a risen John the Baptist. Others were telling Herod that Jesus was the long-awaited Elijah. See, there was a prophecy in Malachi 4.5 saying that Elijah would come before the Messiah. And so he was getting this report that, that Jesus was, was just that Elijah that Malachi was talking about. Then there were other reports telling him that Jesus was the prophet. Now, according to Deuteronomy 18, this is the, Deuteronomy 18.15, this, this is the one Moses mentioned about that would come after him. So this is, this prophet was the one that um, Moses had talked about saying that a prophet would come after him. But according to verse 16, of all the reports Herod had been hearing, the only one that disturbed him the most, the one that just was getting to him and he couldn't quite shake off his, his mind was, was the report of John being raised from the dead. From the moment he realized that, in, that he had an innocent man murdered, his guilty conscience had been persistently tormenting him by the events that we're going to, about, that we're going to be reading about. That inner turmoil is evident by what he chose to believe about Jesus. And we see that choice, we see what in, in verse um, 16 was what he chose to believe. Now, there are a couple things I believe that we can take just from these three verses. First, rather than making assumptions about a matter, it's important to find out for yourself the facts of the matter. See, Harry could have went straight to Jesus, and he could have found out for himself who Jesus was. He could have had these conversations with Jesus, like, who are you? You know, um, help me figure you out. But no. He preferred to listen to people who didn't know anything about who Jesus was. All he was, he was just getting hearsay. See, having an assumption about Jesus, having an assumption about Jesus Christ isn't the same as knowing Jesus Christ. If you don't believe me, ask any believer who they say Jesus is, and more than likely you'll get response, similar responses. Oh, he was just a prophet like, like, like Muhammad. Or he was just a guru. He was just a wise sage. He was just someone that, you know, had his moment 2,000 years ago, you know, and he gave us wise sayings to live by. People don't know because they don't understand. They don't know him. There isn't that personal connection. Secondly, Rest and peace will elude the mind of a person tormented by a guilty conscience. Now, I'm sure that if we all took a minute 
to think about the worst thing we've ever done, it's an uncomfortable thought. It's an uncomfortable feeling. I know in, in, in my lifetime, I've done a lot of horrible things. Even as a child, I've done so many, so many things that if I, if I really sit down and, and remember and try to think about those things, I, I, I do. I, it, it, it's an ugly feeling. It's horrible. And this is what was going on in the mind of Herod. He was struggling with these thoughts. He was struggling with these emotions of doing what he, of, of doing what he did. When we start to think about these thoughts, when we start to think about the most sinful things we've ever done, we have to be aware and we have to, we have to, well actually, First John, John 1, nine says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So what I'm saying is that you can come to him. If this is something that you still struggle with, if you have a sin, an unresolved sin, if you have something that you, that you still hasn't been dealt with and you're still struggling with, you can come to him. You can come to Jesus and confess it to him and he will cleanse you. He will, he will heal you from that distress, from that turmoil you may, be, you may be feeling. So if you find yourself this morning feeling restless because of a guilty conscience, you can come to Jesus, confess it to him, and he will give you the comfort that comes with forgiveness. Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins. Every single one of them all the past, all the present and future sins, all you need to do is just surrender it to him. All you gotta do is just lay it at his feet and say, okay, Lord, I've hidden this sin, I've committed this, and, and, uh, and I'm tired of, of wrestling with it, I'm tired of, of, of it tormenting me. Please take it, I confess it, I forgive me. And you can be assured that he will, he will forgive you because that's why he went on the cross. That's why those nails were put in his hands. That's why he was brutally murdered to forgive you of every single one of your sins. Unfortunately, like Herod, many people would rather live in the bondage of that guilt than to be set free from it. Let me show you what I mean. Now, I'm gonna go back to verse 17. It says, for Herod himself had given orders to arrest John and to chain him in prison on account of Herodias, his brother's Philip's wife, whom he had married. John had been telling Herod, it's not lawful. It's not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. So Herodias held a grudge against him and wanted to kill him, because she, but she could not, because Herod was in awe of John and was protecting him, knowing he was a righteous and holy man. In verses 17 through 20, Mark begins to describe the details leading to John's execution. He begins by writing how, how Herod had John arrested and put into prison. Now keep in mind, Herod didn't put John into prison because he broke a law or because he broke any laws. He put him into prison just because, Herod had, just because John had shamed Herod for his actions, for what he, for his sin, for what he had done. 
he had shamed and embarrassed the king, King Herod. And how did he do this? He called him out. He did this by calling out Herod for taking on his brothers, which, and we see his name is Philip, his brother's wife, Herodias, and marrying her. Now, I can only imagine the family dynamics going on here with Herod and how just terrible things were, how dysfunctional this family dynamics, the, di the family dynamics were. Imagine, you know, I, I couldn't imagine my, my brother taking my wife away and making, him, making, her, making her his wife. That would just, that's just un, un, unimaginable, you know, it's just, it's wrong. And so John the Baptist called him out on that. And he didn't like that. And he felt shamed and, and embarrassed and, and that's why he put him in a prison. Now, scholars do believe that his arrest probably occurred right after Jesus had been baptized. So all this time had passed. Um, Jesus had been baptized. He went to the wilderness. And sometime during that, during that time, that's when uh, John was arrested. Now, verse 19 also tells us how Herod wasn't the only one who felt humiliated and shamed by John the Baptist. His new wife, Herodias, developed a murderous rage, murderous rage against John. I'm sure you've heard the expression, hell has no wrath like a woman scorned. Well, here you have a woman that was scorned. And what we'll see in the verses that follow is the wrath that had been storing within her. But as her conscience was also burning, she realized that there was nothing she could do about it. Although she wanted to, to grab hold of this man that was calling her out on her sin, on their sin, she couldn't do anything about it. She understood and she knew that, that her husband, Herod, was now meeting regularly with John. And as these conversations progressed, Herod started to develop this fascination, started becoming almost like, he, it says there, he, he, became, he was in awe. And the longer he became fascinated, the more he became fascinated with, with John's teaching, the harder it was for anyone to lay hands on, on John the Baptist. You see Herod starting to protect him. No, 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 leave him alone. I, I am I'm trying to get something out of him. He's, you know, he was, he was starting to make excuses. And, and, and this bothered Herodias. This bothered this, this woman who just wanted this man to just die. She was so angry and so enraged that she just couldn't leave it alone. You see, although, and the thing with Herod, although he might have been agitated by the way John publicly shamed him, Herod had begun to see John in an almost reverent manner. You see, he wasn't, he, he looked at, when he looked at John, he wasn't looking at him like, well, he saw him differently than all the religious leaders that he dealt with on a consistent basis. All these 
you know, Pharisees, scribes, um, religious Jewish leaders, he, he dealt with them on a, on a regular basis. And when he had his conversations with John, he realized, you know what, he's nothing like them. He's completely different and unique than all those, than all those re Jewish religious leaders. And he also realized that he wasn't a, a mad lunatic like some believed that he was. See, he was hearing reports about John in the desert, wearing camel's hair, you know, eating locusts and honey. And initially, anybody would think, oh, this, this guy's crazy. He's, he's, he's a madman. But as, again, as he's having these conversations with John, he's realizing, you know what, this guy makes sense. He, he's, he actually has, he's saying something that really makes, makes sense. Herod protected John because, it says there, he knew John was a righteous and holy man. There was something unique and special about him. And Herod realized it. He knew it. We also see how Herod's conversations with John affected him personally. At the end of verse 20, we're told that Herod would talk to John and a couple things would happen. It says Herod would be very disturbed, meaning perplexed. He basically found himself doubting things he thought he understood. He would sit down and have these conversations and John would just basically start preaching to him. Start giving him the message of Jesus Christ. Pointing not to himself, but to Jesus. And something was going on in the mind of Herod. It was making sense, but it just wasn't connecting inside. He saw what he was saying. Again, I'm sure you know what I'm talking about. It makes sense, but it just is somehow it just says there's no connection. So again, he found himself doubting things he thought he understood. And in spite of feeling that way, we're told that Herod would hear him gladly. In other words, Herod enjoyed his conversations. It wasn't like he was like he was tired and of his conversations with him. It wasn't like he was tolerating him. No, he enjoyed sitting there. He enjoyed sitting there and talking to him. It bothered him. I mean, it, 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 it perplexed him, but at the same time, it, he, he enjoyed hearing him. Now, as a Christian, sooner or later, you're going to encounter a Herodias, or you might counter a King Herod. What I'm saying is that there are going to be some who will absolutely hate you because you pose a threat to their sinful lifestyle. And there will, also be some, there will also be some who like having you around and enjoy hearing what you have to say and enjoy hearing about Jesus and, and His goodness and, and His humbleness. But they just don't change. They don't change because they can't seem to understand. Herod couldn't understand the value in John's message because his heart wasn't ready to receive it. Whether it was his pride 
or wealth or his position, something was preventing the mind of Herod to connect with his heart. In order for truth to cause any effectual change, I believe two things must happen. First of all, truth must be understood. Now this happens within the mind of a person. I'll give you an example. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Now to me, and to any rational person, this makes sense because no one is perfect. Everyone has, everyone, we know that even if someone was to steal a pen from work or from school, the person's a thief and they've broken the commandment, thou shalt not steal. And thus, they've broken the law. And thus, they've sinned. So again, that verse, Romans 3.23, it makes rational sense to me because my life experience shows me that no one is perfect. Now the second thing that must happen in order for effectual change to take place is that truth must be accepted and received. And this, is, and this happens within the heart of a person. Another example, 1 Timothy 1.15 says, Christ Jesus came, to the world, came into the world to save sinners. However, if I'm unable to accept the fact that I'm a sinner, or if I'm unable to accept the fact that Jesus Christ came into the world and to die for me, I, I, I just won't be able to receive it. Even if I understand, even if, even if, even if history books said, you know, yeah, Jesus was an actual person that came to Jerusalem, I can accept that. And I, okay, yeah. I, but if I don't receive the reason why, then it's not going to change. All it's going to do is just make me smarter. I can have all the book knowledge in the world. I can, you know, but, but if I don't receive the truth, if I don't allow it to penetrate my heart, it's not going to do anything. It's not going to cause any change. So, in order for any effectual change to, to occur in your life, those two things must happen. Truth must be understood, and truth must be accepted and received. When truth is revealed and it connects with the mind and heart, it has the most potential to change a person. Let me ask you, think back before you were a Christian, before you accepted Christ. How many times did it take before you finally understood that you were a sinner in need of a Savior? I know it took almost 20 years. I mean, not counting the, the years I was a little kid and couldn't talk and understand things, but for me, it almost took 20 years. I'm sure, you know, I, I, I heard these messages. Even though I grew up in the Catholic Church and I would know about Jesus and, and that's where I had my first exposure about God and about praying about Jesus, the message that He died for me which just wasn't penetrating. I was hearing it, but it just wasn't, it wasn't penetrating deep down in my heart. It took almost 20 years for me. But I'll tell you what, if you can receive that truth and allow it the, to just come in, even at, at your young age, and I'm talking to the young ones here, the better life is going to be for you. The, the less mistakes you're going to make in life. 
Yeah, you're young. You're a young guy. <laughs> but what I'm saying is there has to be that connection. There has to be that connection between the heart and the mind. As a Christian, when you're sharing your faith with others, don't be discouraged when you share Christ with someone for hours, for days, for weeks, and even years, and they just can't seem to understand it. Don't be discouraged. Again, your, your job is just to plant seeds. It's God's role to make that seed grow. Now, it may not be you. If, if you've been witnessing to a family member, to a friend, again, it's just not connecting. It may not be you, but rather something within their own heart or mind that is preventing that connection from happening. Herod had the last and greatest prophet at his disposal, and yet he couldn't understand John's gospel message about Jesus Christ. He had John the Gospel right there, and still he just couldn't grasp it. Do I, do I believe that John the Baptist would leave those conversations and be like, oh man, I messed up. I didn't say the right thing. I didn't, you know, I didn't, I didn't talk about, you know, um, more about apologetics, and I didn't talk about more about um, the last days, and I, you know, I, no, for him, he just, he just delivered the message. And he understood that it's God's job, it was God's role to grow a person, to make that seed grow. Let's keep reading. Well, let me, let me uh, read here the story of, the, of that night. Starting in verse 21. Now an opportune time came on his birthday when Herod gave a banquet for his nobles, military commanders, and the leading men of Galilee. When Herodias' own daughter came in and danced, she pleased Herod and his guest. The king asked the girl, Ask me whatever you want and I will give it to you. So she swore oaths to her, Whatever you ask me I will give to you up to half my kingdom. Then she went out and said to her mother, What should I ask for? John the Baptist's head, she said. Immediately she hurried to the king and said, I want you to give me John the Baptist's head on a platter right now. Though the king was deeply distressed because of his oaths and the guests, he did not want to refuse her. The king immediately sent for an executioner and commanded him to bring John's head. So he went and beheaded him in prison, brought his head on a platter and gave it to the girl. Then the girl gave it to her mother. When the disciples heard about it, they came and removed his, course, his corpse and placed it in a tomb. As the story continues, it leads us right into the night Herod executed. Herod orders the execution of John the Baptist. The night a birthday celebration went from gross debauchery to an unimaginable gruesome spectacle. We see in verse 21 how Herod decides to throw, this started by how the plans Herod had to throw one of the biggest birthday parties the region had ever seen. And he invites every notable person he knows, every celebrity, every military commander, every politician, 
everybody, uh, everybody that's a who's who in the region, he invites them to come to that birthday celebration. Celebration. As the, festiv- as the festivities move along and as the wine is starting to, to, to take, its, take its toll and, and out comes the main entertainment of the night, the main act. And Herodias' daughter comes out and proceeds to give the dance performance of a lifetime. And so by the time she's done, by the time she's done dancing, the entire crowd is absolutely captivated by her. They're mesmerized, including her own stepfather. And we're told that Herod was so mesmerized by his stepdaughter's performance that he made that he publicly swore oaths to her in front of everybody in front of the entire crowd he tells her whatever you ask me i will give to you up to half my kingdom so she takes so she takes a moment and she runs to her mother mom mom he's, he wants to give me up to half his kingdom i can have whatever i want you know, I can have riches. I can go anywhere and do whatever. Mom, what should I ask for? And what does her, her mother say? What does Herodias tell her? He says, she says, as she consults her mom, Herodias suggests the one thing that has been a constant nuisance to her conscience and to her new family life. She tells her daughter, I want the head of John the Baptist. It wasn't the riches, it wasn't the fame, it wasn't the going out, she, she, she had that. It wasn't, it wasn't even about half the kingdom. She wanted John the Baptist. So we see here in verse 25 that that's exactly what she requests. However, Herod's daughter takes it a step further by adding that she wants his head on the platter. And she says, right now. Now imagine the scene. I, I, when I imagine the scene, I, I think about, remember in that old 1970s Willy Wonka, you have Veruca Sol, every time she wants something, she was like, I want it now. You know? Spoiled little girl. Although she, she was probably the best dancer in the region, you can tell by her inward attitude she had some serious deep down issues and maybe it all went back down to again the family problems the, the, the dysfunction that was going on but she said I want his head right now now his reaction to a request in verse 26 indicates to us that anguish the anguish that he immediately felt upon her request you see he was ready to give up to half his kingdom he was ready to give up whatever she wanted. But the thing he never expected was that she would ask him to kill John the Baptist. This is like, this would be like if, if, if the president started to, to have a conversation with you 
and you started to share with him about Jesus. You, wouldn't, you didn't even do anything wrong. And then one of his politicians, one of his, you know, uh, one of his lackeys would say, hey, you know what? He needs to die. Or he wanted, you know, maybe a family member, maybe a family member told him, hey, you know what? You need to kill him. You could tell that he was just anguished. He, he didn't want to. But there was nothing he could do about it. The oaths of a king can't be taken back, especially if they're sworn publicly. And so we see that he complies with her request, and John is executed. And afterwards, his head is brought in as she asked directly to her on a platter. And then what does she do? She then proceeds to re-gift her gift to her mother by passing the platter on to her. A most shocking turn of events and a night that will never be forgotten. Now this anguish again that, that, that Herod felt it's the same kind of anguish that Jesus felt when he was in the garden and he was about to die. It was that inner turmoil, that wrestling, like, oh, I don't, don't want to do this, but I, I, I have to. It needs to be done. It has to be done. And then John dies. He's executed. We finally see in verse 29 that it didn't take long for John's disciples to hear about it. They arrive only to take his corpse and give him a proper burial. Let me tell you, when bitterness, anger, contempt, and envy is stored within the heart towards a person, it's only a matter of time before he reveals itself in word and deed. For Herodias, the rage she felt towards John had reached a boiling point, and she was willing to go to extreme lengths to get rid of him even using her own daughter as a means to her end. Brothers and sisters in Christ, if we are to learn anything about Herodias, it's that unresolved anger and bitterness can cause irreparable damage to you and to others. The longer you allow these thoughts and feelings to fester within your heart, the harder it will become, the harder it will become to let them go. According to James 1.20, it's counterproductive to the work God is doing within you. It's pointless to hold on to this anger, this bitterness. What, is there somebody in your life right now that you're holding these, that you're holding a grudge against, that you're angry and just, just if you had your way, you would also find a way to get rid of them. Is there someone out there right now that you feel this way about? You have to get rid of it. You have to, as, as a Christian, it's, it's, again, as I mentioned, it's counterproductive to what God is trying to do in your heart. Psalm 37, 8 says, Refrain from anger and give up your rage. Do not be agitated. It can only bring harm. And again, in Ephesians 4.31, Paul tells believers, 
All bitterness, anger, and wrath, shouting and slander must be removed from you along with all malice. As a Christian, you're called to live according to the Spirit, not to the flesh. I want you to do me a favor and I want you to turn to Galatians. I want to read something to you. Galatians. And that is after, uh, before Ephesians, right after 2 Corinthians. So you have 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, then you have Galatians. And I'm going to be, I'm going to read to you from Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5 verse 16. It's what Paul says. I say then, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is against the Spirit, and the Spirit desires what is against the flesh. These are opposed to each other, so that you do not do what you want. But, you, but if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, moral impurity, promiscuity, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, carousing, and anything similar. I tell you about these things in advance, as I told you before, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faith, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. That's how you walk in the Spirit. That's how you know if you're walking in the flesh and walking in the Spirit. The other, thing, the other thing I want to mention is that you must be aware of your own weaknesses. The enemy knows where to hit you the hardest in order to cause the most damage. If you know your weakness is sexual passions, stay away from anything that the devil can use to tempt you. If you're the type of person that gets angered easily, become aware of what triggers it, what triggers those emotions in order to avoid saying or doing something that you'll later regret. Now for me, I know my weaknesses, my, one of my biggest weaknesses is, is, is drinking. I know at times I tell myself, you know what, I, everything will be all right, I just have, you know, I just can have a drink, I'll be okay. And yes, you know, I, I, I struggle, even, even being out a town this past weekend, those thoughts went through my head. But see, I'm aware of the damage that it's caused. And I know that even if I was to hide it then and there, eventually it'll come out. Eventually, you know, it's gonna turn into something else, gonna be turned into more lying and and, and next thing you know I'm I'm totally messing up my family's life. I'm messing up my ministry. I'm messing up what's, what God is doing in my life. I'm aware of my weaknesses, and I know what's going to cause me to, to stumble. I know those things that are going to cause me to, to, to compromise my relationship with Christ. Do you know yours? 
do you know what your weaknesses are? Whether it's, a, again, whether it's an emotion, a feeling, um, or whether it's just an action. Be aware of it, become aware of it, know what it is. Learn from it, ask the Lord to reveal it to you, to, to heal you from it, to show you. Because of his passions and pride, Herod put himself in a situation he couldn't get out of. The best way to avoid being put in a similar compromising position is to learn how to live according to the Spirit. Romans 8 verses 5 and 6 says this, For those who live according to the flesh, think about the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit, about the things of the Spirit. For the mindset, for the mindset of the flesh is death, but the mindset of the Spirit is life and peace. Although Herod was inwardly disturbed by what he was about to do, he did it because his life was ruled by the desires of his flesh. He had allowed the message of John, had he allowed the message of John to penetrate his heart, the results would have been drastically different. Unfortunately, this wasn't the case. And as a result, he had John beheaded and a spectacle was made out of it. And this world lost the prophet, way too young, way too soon. told he was probably around the same age as Jesus. That would be around in his 30s. What a scene. Platter, a silver platter with someone's head on it, brought to a young girl. And she in turn passes and gives it to her mother. All because of that rage, that anger. They, they couldn't they didn't want to receive this message from, from John. I, know, I realize that many of us are Christians here. But again, we have to be careful still with our own emotions, with our own thoughts, with our own actions. Be careful that it doesn't lead us, begin to lead us in dangerous territory, in dangerous places. If I know that me going to a bar is going to cause a fight between me and my wife, I'm going to avoid everything. I'm going to do everything I can to avoid that from happening. You know, we have, we, we already argue about a few things. You know, I don't need any more arguments. I don't need to add any more, uh, any more pressure on. I don't want to stress her out anymore. I don't want to cause her to feel any more pain and discomfort than what she already experienced getting older. I mean, we're in our 40s, but feel like we can, you know, you know, I don't need to live like I'm 20 and wild anymore, you know. But again, what I'm saying is we have to live according to the Spirit. We can't allow our flesh to dictate how we're going to live our lives. As a Christian, God has called you to be messengers. God has called you to be witnesses, messengers, preachers, evangelists, teachers to those around you. 
each one of you have your own sphere of influence. And you need to be a salt and a light in that sphere. And just remember, just because you, when you do share your, your, your faith and someone just doesn't seem to grasp it, someone just doesn't seem to, to hear what you're saying. I mean, you're making rational sense and you're making all the right arguments and, and they just, it just goes in one year and goes out the other and it's not you. It's not, it may not, again, it may not be you. There's something missing there. And yet, also, some people will hate you. And some people will, may under, misunderstand you. But keep in mind that it's not you they have a problem with, but it's the message of truth that you're sharing. It's not you they're rejecting, it's Jesus. And as long as you keep praying, as long as you keep that person and, and give that person up to God, eventually God will do a work in their lives. And, you know, who knows? But they may be the next Billy Graham. They may be the next great evangelist that, that causes a revival in this entire nation. But it's God doing the work. How long, again, how long did it take for God to grab a hold of you? gospel is important. The message is important. If you're listening or watching and, and you've never accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior, I'm going to lead you into a short prayer to receive Jesus. And then afterwards, we'll, we'll get into the communion. But if you're tired of living with this anger and hatred and, and bitterness in your heart and you're ready just to leave it at the feet of Jesus and you're ready to accept him as your Lord and Savior and you're ready and you, you're just you're at that place where you just want to surrender your life to him. Just close your eyes and pray this prayer in your heart. Lord, forgive me for my sins. I know that I'm a sinner and that I've completely separated from you. But I realize and I understand and I believe that you sent Jesus Christ to die on the cross for my sins. God, take away this anger, take away this bitterness and forgive me for everything I've said and done because of those feelings. I accept your forgiveness. I receive it. And I ask that you fill me with the Holy Spirit so that I can walk in the Spirit. Fill me, change me, transform me into the person that you want me to be, that you created me to be. Thank you for forgiving me. In Jesus' name, amen.